you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey, hey, and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. I am your host, Oliver Banks, and this is episode 53 as we're now edging exceedingly close to the first birthday of the podcast. And I thank you very much from the bottom of my heart for continuing to tune in week after week. And if this is your first time listening, then do hit subscribe because there's some awesome, awesome shows in the pipeline and I do not want you to miss out on them. So last time round in episode 52, we took a look at a series of rapid, quick actions that you can take if you are facing adversity. However, the focus in that episode was absolutely, definitely on speed, getting things done quickly. Which, let's be honest, if you are facing adversity, is usually what is needed, that speed to get things going. Quick actions in that situation are good because they buy you a little bit of breathing space. But they are unlikely to yield long-term changes that really affect the future outcome of your business. So in today's episode, I wanted to flip it around. I wanted to look at some bigger, longer-term things that you can be doing if you are facing adversity that will turn the tables in the future. But just before we dive into that, When you've been faced with adversity, it's sometimes easy to react quickly and get things done. That, of course, is the natural tendency of the classic fight or flight, which gets activated by our sort of prehistoric brains. But then comes the call for a new adventure, starting a transformation journey. But it's a journey that many can be tentative to begin. It's normal to feel nervous. It's normal to think of many different aspects and reasons why now is not the right time. Perhaps you're feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you're not sure where to start. Perhaps you don't want to appear incapable or clueless when viewed by your peers, your boss or your organisation. Maybe you're just scared. Equally, in your head, you may not know the right answer. There are many different ways to, of course, prioritise your time, your money, your attention. But which one is the right option? And at the same time, you might think troubling times could blow over. Or maybe it's going to resolve itself with just one more sale or that very, very special discount offer that you have been working on. Well, let me tell you, it's okay to feel or think some of those things. It's perfectly natural, in fact. And at the same time, I do have to tell you that you do have to change. And that's a topic I've been talking about increasingly over the past few episodes, because we continue to see retailers facing tough times without making a real headway into their transformation journey. So today, I want to help guide you on your way towards getting started with your transformation. And to do that, I wanted to present you with a menu, a range of options for how you could go about transforming your retail business. There are 10 options, 
to choose from, each that have multiple variants. It's like a range, right? A product range. <laughs> now, maybe you need to look at this menu and maybe you need to focus in on one particular area. But maybe you need to consider a number of areas. Of course, that will depend on your business and your individual situation, as well as the whole appetite for change and even how honest the organization is going to be with itself. So like I say, there are 10 things on this retail transformation menu for you to choose from. And for each one, it splits out into a number of different areas. And I've got a key question that you need to consider for each. And that key question is going to help decide if that menu option is right for you. A quick word of warning. This is a bit of a long episode. I did not want to split this into two parts because there's a ton of great content and I wanted you to be able to consume it all in one go. So do make sure you've got time to listen to this one. So thanks in advance for tuning in to the episode. I'd love to hear what you do think of this one though. So grab a notebook and a pen if you've not got one handy. And if you're driving, then uh, you may want to come back to this one or of course, check out the show notes page, which today is going to be obandco.uk slash 53. So as we go through each of these 10 elements, you're going to need to consider what should be on your transformation wish list. If you're not sure, then remember to look out for that key question, which will be a great indication as to should that element be on your wish list or not. So here we go. And remember to take notes or check out the show notes page obandco.uk slash 53. Right. So number one, let's start with the big one, right? The business model. How does the business ultimately generate money? It may be that you need to transform this very fundamental area of your business. And it's going to dramatically change how you make money. And of course, whilst retail remains a profit-making industry, this area will be important. So we've had companies like Amazon and a number of tech startups that have really set up stakeholder expectations for low or no profits even being loss-making for a number of years, right? However, if you're an existing business, if you've had shareholders for a number of years and you're not that tech startup, then you probably don't have that luxury, am I right? So you do still have to think about finances. You can't just throw them to the wind. But I'm sure you already know that, after all. Shareholder expectations do place a rather large part in people's mindsets in a retail organisation. But if you're thinking about transforming your business model, here are a few things to think about. Firstly, how do you generate the revenue? You need to consider and even reconsider what and how you sell. Maybe there are new opportunities to sell something that you don't currently sell. You know, here's an example. Amazon. Recently, their advertising business has gone from strength to strength to strength. It's really booming and growing quickly. In fact, in their latest update, their revenue line of other, which includes their advertising business, majority is their advertising business, to be honest. It's a real bright spot. In fact, it's continued to grow. It's now $3 billion a quarter, over three, 3.6 actually, which is phenomenal when you look at the growth charts. And I've got one of those on the show notes page, obandco.uk slash 53. So you can see how that part of the Amazon business is just growing beyond belief. And that's an example of how they have shifted and transformed their business into the future. 
And of course, that was also something I took a little look at a few episodes ago in episode 41 of the Retail Transformation Show, of course. So Amazon have considered how to generate revenue in a different way. And they've transformed their business and are continuing to do so, I might add. So could you do something like that? You could also look at partnerships, acquisitions, mergers, collaborations as an option to add capability or add focus on how you make money. Here's another example. Tesco decided to acquire Booker. And by merging with the large wholesaler, they've opened up more channels to market, as well as cost-saving synergies and a number of joint opportunities. Now, part of that was Tesco realizing that convenience food was a huge opportunity, and Booker was well-placed to take advantage in partnership with Tesco. So by adding in Booker customers, Booker capabilities, Tesco have acquired a chance to really rapidly grow this area of the business, and it's going down well. Again, there's more notes for you over at the show notes page today on that one. But of course, it doesn't need to be just about buying companies. Clothing retailer Next have recently announced a partnership with Amazon to drive traffic to stores, and also O2, the phone provider. Another example is Ocado, who of course work with retailers to help them tackle that tricky, prickly little subject of online grocery shopping. Sticking with Ocado for a second, think about how Marks & Spencer's M&S have done a deal to join together with Ocado and rapidly get started with their online shopping journey. So how could you add a capability to your organization to help you grow, to help you scale or even operate better? What would that capability be and how could you go about finding it? So how do you even begin to tackle this massive subject of the business model? Well, first up, you're going to need to dive into your financials and the real fundamentals of your business. Work with the finance team, work with the leadership to really understand the intricacies of the P&L, of cash flow and a whole number of other areas too. You're going to need to understand how your costs spread out across the organization. Are your costs clearly attributed and divided out for how you make sales? If not, then you're not really going to understand the profit that you're making at each stage or against each area or product or category of your business. Look at how you can use benchmark information to gauge if you're on the right track or if there's something massively out of kilter with the rest of industry. Now, don't get me wrong on this one. Business model transformation is not easy, but it does give a huge opportunity to really turn things around and reset the fundamentals of your business. And as such, it's probable that as you listen to the rest of the retail transformation menu in today's episode, you're going to think, yep, we need to do that and that and that and that and that. Great. That's probably where you should be at. If you're doing business model transformation, it's going to touch everything in your business. So the big key question for you, what areas of your business make your revenue and what makes your profit? So right here, we're diving into that old adage of revenue is vanity and profit is sanity. So do you understand which areas really drive your profit? You may have a suspicion, but do you know that. Because if not, then you must dive into your financials to really understand more. There could be loss-making areas of your business that you just don't know about because you don't have the right information at the moment. 
So go dive into the financials and understand more. The second item of the menu is strategy, how you sell and how people buy. So here you must look at where and how people are shopping. It's obviously changed a lot over the past few years with the advent of e-commerce, as well as social media and big marketplace retailers such as Amazon, Alibaba and so on. First up, you must review your channels and the routes to market. It's critical to continue to review this, in fact. And you must make sure that everything is clearly integrated and it makes sense for a customer. Now, you're probably thinking when it comes to channels, physical stores and online, and you'd be absolutely spot on there. They're the obvious channels. And there have been plenty of recent examples of these two channels working really well together. In the UK, I'm thinking companies like Jules, like Next, and I'm sure you can think of some examples where companies that are doing online and are doing physical stores are doing rather well when it's executed nicely, properly, smartly. Essentially, what happens is if you have a physical presence in an area, then you see an online performance boost too. Now, social media is another growth area when it comes to channels. We're seeing Facebook and Instagram offering the opportunity to buy directly from their apps now. Snapchat too, of course, have flirted with retail too in the past. And with so many people spending so much of their time on social, I think we can probably guess the direction of travel going forward. We know that the social platforms are wanting to keep us as users on their platform rather than letting people click through and bleed out to your website or other websites out on the World Wide Web. So I think we're going to continue to see the social shopping channel or shopping platform, I should say, expand as another major series of channels for your business to be present in. And marketplaces have been on the rise as well. Amazon really is the poster child here, which represents a huge opportunity to present your brand and your product to customers in the place and in the way where they are already shopping. Amazon, right? So look at partnerships too with marketplaces like Amazon to increase the route to market and also consider things like shop in shop and even cross promotional work. And finally, you should also be investigating your property portfolio as well, of course. Make sure that you have the right stores of the right size in the right place. Now, obviously, when you've got long leases and tough landlords, there may not be a quick fix. Although maybe you've got break clauses or other options open to you, such as the CVA, the Company Voluntary Arrangement in the UK. Now, when you're looking at your stores, you should have a clear view on store-by-store performance and, in turn, be able to assess how your ideal portfolio, your ideal store portfolio, would be different from your current store portfolio. Now, my guess is that when you do that, you're probably going to have a tail of poor performers, which you could chop it off and close those stores. Or, of course, the first port of call is look at how you could improve those stores and what can they learn from other stores that are not in quite such a poor condition. Also thinking about this second menu item strategy, you must identify and analyze your competitors. Now, I'm sure you are already familiar with your competitors, but who are your real competitors? It was a question I asked in last week's episode two, and it may not just be the old enemy. Consider how customers are solving their problems. Some of them are probably going through retailers like yourself, the classic competition 
but some are going to be going through online pure play retailers that you'd maybe not considered. And of course, some are going to be going to indirect competitors. These are companies who do not sell exactly in the same way that you sell. Think of Netflix, for example, selling entertainment in the same way that stores would have once sold DVDs. Although at first, I'm pretty sure Netflix was not considered as a classic competitor. So by understanding and analysing who your competition really are, you can learn from them, adopt some of their ways of working, disrupt how they are serving your customers, and make sure that you're not letting those customers leak away. So I'm sure you've heard about the term disruption, right? We're always talking about disruption. You know, Uber, Airbnb, etc. But what happens with these disruptors is they analyse how people are shopping and then significantly change some critical parts of that story for customers. Often they're eliminating the pain points or eliminating the friction. You know, think about that pain of having to hail a cab and get in and you're not quite sure how much it is going to be to get to your destination. So rather than just waiting for your business to continue to be disrupted by the world around us, why not look to disrupt yourself? Consider where the pain is in your business journey. What would it mean to completely evaporate or pulverize that particular pain point? How would you do it? If you were a competitor of your own business, how would you disrupt yourself? By taking an approach like this, it could lead you to new innovations. It could lead you to avoid future disruption and failure ultimately. But to do this, you must transform how the business views the overall strategy. You must get the business onto the front foot rather than waiting to fall onto the back foot, right? So the key question here is where and how are your shoppers actually shopping? And if you don't understand, or if you don't exactly know, then it's likely that you won't know when your customers disappear and why that is. You're going to be left scratching your head in the future. And of course, we are also going to be coming back to customers in just a little bit. But first up, number three in this retail transformation menu is brand. Who is your company and what does it stand for? You know, when we're talking about brand, it's often said it's what people say about you when you're not in the room. So what do they say about you? It's a good question. And often people don't really necessarily know. Now, I would advise you have to lead that by doing things properly, by acting the way that you want people to think about you. And that all starts with having a purpose and being relevant. Now, let's just be very clear here. Having a purpose allows you to stand out in today's crowded retail marketplace. And if you are a regular listener to the Retail Transformation Show, then you will know this already. It's come up time and time again, both in episodes that I've done like this, a solo show, as well as with a number of my special guests that we've been chatting to over the last year. And one of the things it boils down to is with so many different competitors to choose from, why should an individual consumer choose to buy from you? Now, the answer in the future is going to be because you serve a purpose that makes you relevant to them, to their lifestyle, and to their personal viewpoint. But if you have no purpose, then you have 
no personality. Your brand's going to become bland. Your brand is going to become mediocre, even boring, right? So find your purpose. Look to your history and what your founder originally envisaged. What caused significant periods of growth in your own history books? Look at the corporate point of view. Look at what makes you unique in the marketplace already. All of those are going to serve as good pointers to your purpose. And if you'd like to dive into that one a little bit more, go back and check out episode 25 of the Retail Transformation Show, where I lay out a bit of a framework to help guide you through. So once you understand your purpose, then you must, must, must make sure that you are actually delivering on it. Don't just have good intentions, but let them become hollow, empty promises. You must work out how you are actually going to take that purpose and really live by it so that it does become a true reason for being, a true reason to shop with you. Once you have your purpose, you must define the company values that serve that same purpose. What does your company, what does your brand stand for? What does it stand against? These are absolutely critical to be able to surround your purpose and help bring it to life. It's going to set the tone and the expected behavior. And in turn, your values will guide your people to serve your purpose properly, truly. Plus, your values can really appeal to your customers too. If you have values in line with their own perspectives, their own values, then it's going to create a natural affinity between your customers and your brand. However, just like having a purpose, you must bring your values to life. Don't let it be empty. Don't let it be average. For example, if one of your core values is something about sustainability, about being environmentally friendly, then really challenge yourself. What is it that is making you sustainable, more environmentally friendly? What are the sacrifices that you are making to make you more sustainable? Is every decision in your business guided by that? And is it really enough? Is what you're doing really enough when you compare it to other businesses? So if you're not making a significant step forward when you compare yourself to others, consider if it is actually one of your true values or if it's a nice buzzword that you really want to be affiliated with. Because let me tell you, customers will sense if these nice words are really something that you live by. So the final element of a brand transformation that you may want to consider is classic branding. In this one, as the name suggests, consider the visual element of your brand, the logos, the colors, the icons, the fonts, the graphics. Are they aligned with your purpose and your values? Do they mesh visually? Do they set the right scene for your customers? So if you are trying to be an ultra high fashion retailer, let's say, and you go for an old fashioned logo, and a blend of pastels and bright colors, is that really going to work? Is it going to grate with people? Is it going to reinforce your brand or destroy your brand? Another one here that really frustrates me as as an individual is when you see far too many fonts being used, particularly when they don't work well together. Or if there's a different type of photography that's being used, it just causes too much confusion in my head as I'm looking at this piece of advertising, piece of marketing, whatever. And it does not make me want to go in and investigate and fall in love with that brand because they're clearly confused already. How are they going to help me? That's right, that confusion 
of your visual branding does embed itself into your customer's brains. I'm sure you can think of some other examples. But don't just consider the visual elements here as well. Consider your tone of voice as well. Is it consistent? Does it talk to your customer? Or does it shout at them? Does it tell them? Does it communicate clearly? So, of course, when it comes to branding, you must get into the right mindset, the mindset of your customer. Think about your customer for just a minute. They're being bombarded by information and brands are laying siege to their eyes, their hearts and their minds every minute of every day. So what is going to make your brand really stand out across this barrage? So the key question for this element of the retail transformation menu is what is your reason for being and how do you bring that to life? Yep, that's right. The key question here is all about purpose. And if that's not clear, then you have a clear next step to work that out. That purpose is going to drive everything in your business. And it's going to give your customers a reason to shop with you. It's going to inspire your workforce to really work and try hard. And ultimately, it's going to guide the future of your business. And it's going to be a part of every single decision. It's huge, really is. Next up, this is number four, and it's all about the customer and who are you meant to serve? So whilst I don't advocate transforming your customer, it is possible to transform yourself for your customer. First up, who are your ideal customers? What does that avatar look like? An individual avatar. I've seen some huge benefits from doing this with clients, really being able to clearly define and understand who you want to serve allows you to do just that. Having an ideal customer of men and women aged somewhere between 1 and 100 with a pulse is not really being very targeted about who you want to serve. Sure, you'll take their money, but it's not who you are targeting, right? You're trying to be all things to all people, and what's going to happen is you're going to end up being nothing to nobody. Sounds like a mafia quote, right? (laughs) Nothing to nobody. So make sure that you make your ideal customers a really specific person. Give them a name. Understand their life. Get under their skin. So by having an ideal customer, you are going to be able to assess your business through their eyes more easily. You're going to know how to talk and how to communicate with them. You'll be able to challenge yourself. Will your shopping experience make sense for them? And you can even use their viewpoint, their troubles, their challenges to define the propositions that you are going to offer in the future. So by tailoring to your ideal customer, you're going to appeal to that avatar and people like them. And that is infectious. It won't just be that very specific person that likes you. It's going to be a whole load of people that are like them. But it is also valuable to back up your ideal customer avatar with research. Make sure that it represents a real person you don't want. Right, you know, it's Dave, age 50. He's got a kajillion pounds or dollars or whatever currency you have. And he just wants to spend it all on your product. That's not a very realistic ideal customer, right? So do use research to make it realistic. Work out if there are enough real people like that to make your business work. And I should also point out 
that you can, of course, have multiple ideal customers. It doesn't have to be just one person. A handful is fine. But what's going to happen is they're going to be connected to each other by a common set of challenges and problems that hopefully you can solve. So once you know who ideally you want to serve, you need to be able to find the right number of customers. But with that ideal customer in mind, you can use that to find the real customers because you know how to talk to them as they want to be talked to. You understand where they are and what they're interested in so you can begin to appeal to them. Oh, and by the way, your ideal customers are probably friends with other people just the same as them. So you're going to want to make sure that you have ongoing research to continue and understand your customer base. Why are they shopping with you? What parts of the business speak directly to them? What parts do not? Also be sure to continually ask what they're challenged by or what they're struggling with. And from there, you may find those opportunities to continue to evolve your business and help them. And if needed, adjust your ideal customers as you find out more about your real customers and which bits are working and leading to profitable results. Of course, because you understand the business model, right? So the final part of that customer transformation is about communication to customers. How are you actually talking? How are you communicating with them? People, of course, communicate through many different channels now with the advent of social media, but email is still important as well. But they're not the only ways either, of course. So investigate how you can tailor your communication to your ideal customers. Combine your ideal customers with your purpose and you will have a very clear way of communicating. And if they're aligned to that purpose, then there's almost a natural call to action, right? But do consider how are you going to encourage people to come to your store, to click to your website or engage with your brand? What is that clear call to action? But one thing you have to promise me, if you're going to transform your customer communication, please, please, please make sure that you don't confuse with multiple CTAs, call to actions at one time because you end up with nothing, right? But do consider how your communication could be a little bit more than just a want to buy this message, right? No one wants one of those. Junk mail, junk mail, right? Unsubscribe. (laughs) Please add value. Talk directly to your ideal customers and it's going to make a huge amount of sense. So the key question here, of course, is going to be about ideal customers, right? Who is your ideal customer and what is their challenge? You know, we've spoken a lot about ideal customers over the past few minutes, but having an ideal customer, an avatar alongside your brand's purpose is going to help you to build relationships with people. And in turn, you'll have the opportunity to convert those people into customers and even loyal repeat customers. So if you've not got an idea of a specific target customer, do make sure that you build one out and make sure that your business is really working for them. So the next big item on the menu, number five, this is all about the shopping trip. What is the experience of shopping with you? So retail is ultimately still about shopping, particularly from the customer's perspective. So that has to be a real consideration when you are looking at how you could transform your business. So the first element to think about here is that your customers will have a number of different journeys or missions that they'll be aiming to fulfill each time they visit your brand, visit your website, or engage with you. Now, this could be anything from looking 
for initial inspiration through to wanting to make a purchase. And of course, do not forget that after sales support element too, whether it's about returns or whether it's help getting the most from that product. The customer journey absolutely does not stop at the moment of sale. And every single touch point does reflect on your brand and the ability of a future sale. So be sure to define and really understand the different missions that your customers want to do. And then consider how your shopping experience can help those people complete each one of those missions. Now it's likely that to complete a mission, a customer is going to want to come to one of your stores or visit your online shop. So how does that whole shopping trip, that end-to-end shopping trip, look like when it's in a multi-channel world? When people are continually switching between websites and real life, between phones and computers? Because that one person views your brand as one brand, not as multiple different touch points that, oh, well, I did that on the phone, so I can't possibly do it on the computer or in a store. So what I'd like you to do here is think about the experience that they get in each channel and at each point for each mission. How does that make a person feel? How would you want them to feel? And how could you evolve your current store experience, your current store flow to help enable that feeling? Ultimately, you must ask yourself if your channels, everything from physical and online, really work together because they should do and your customers certainly want them to and even expect them to, right? And of course, as people shop your stores, you must be ready to optimize the shopping trip in a continual basis. And part of that, of course, is all about data and analytics, which we're going to come back to a little later on, actually. But do look at how you can learn, how you can collect data, whether it's through heat maps, whether it's through surveys, about what is going on in your customer journey. And that will help you find new opportunities to optimize that shopping trip. So the key question here is why are people shopping with you? What's their mission? And how are you going to help them to complete that mission? You know, understanding why and how customers are currently shopping with you is going to help you to help them, just as Jerry Maguire said, right? Help me help you. Yep, there's going to be a range of missions that people may be visiting you to complete. Not everyone's coming to buy every time, as you know, and particularly for certain categories and price points. But with the advent of our digitally enabled world, it's going to become increasingly difficult to clearly label each shopping mission. They're going to be harder to track, but your objective absolutely should still to be to help customers complete their mission, whichever channel they choose to be in. The next big menu item number six is product. It's of course what you sell, but it's not what your customers buy. Of course, in a literal sense, retail boils down to the exchange of money for a product or service. And I should point out when I say product, I mean product or service for the next few minutes, all right? But here's the thing. People do not want to buy your product. They want to buy the outcome that that product gives them. They're buying a solution to their problem or they're buying part of achieving a goal. Maybe they're wanting to buy a feeling. Maybe they're wanting confidence or admiration. Or maybe they're even wanting to buy peace of mind. Whatever that is for your product, for your business, understand that they are not looking to buy 
the physical collection of raw materials that you happen to be selling. So be sure to understand what your customers do really want to buy and make sure that your whole organization also understands that too. But with so many competitors across all these different channels, it's likely that your products are also available elsewhere, right? This is dangerous. If your products become a commodity, easily available from other sellers, how is your business going to stand out? After all, we live in a world where, as Ian Shepard points out in his great book, Reinventing Retail, someone is going to sell your product at cost or even less. So, how are you going to stand out? Do you have a plan for when someone sells your product at cost or even less that you cannot compete with? Because you need one. Now, part of that is going to come down to purpose and part of it is going to come down to your product and your range selection too. Defining the uniqueness in your offering is important to avoid becoming bland or boring and combine that with your purpose and you can really start to differentiate yourself against that commoditized offering. Because remember, people are not buying the raw materials that you happen to be selling. And that's the clue that you need to get into, right? So the next thing I want you to think about when it comes to product is, are your products good value? You probably realize that there's a difference between low cost and good value, of course. But the rise of the discounters is really resetting that value calculation or equation. In fact, companies like Audi are now offering high perceived quality and low perceived price. It's tough to battle against that. But you probably noticed that I intentionally used the word perceived in that last little sentence there. Because value is in the eye of the beholder. If people believe something, then it becomes more true than the reality. And with the rise of review trustworthiness, this is becoming an increasingly pertinent point. So as you consider how to transform your product and your range, consider how you can reset the perceived value as well. And of course, if you understand exactly how your profit is being generated, you may of course need to review your COGS, your cost of goods sold, as to improve that profitability per product or for a specific range of products, right? And it's also important to understand how your customers use your product. What's the life cycle look like? Are they going to want to make repeat purchase? Are there going to be add-ons or accessories that you can bolt onto that to help the customer get more from that product? But also, as sustainability becomes an ever-increasingly hot topic, no pun intended there, what happens to the product at the end of life? Are you going to help your customers to reduce or reuse or recycle products? So the key question here that you must be considering as to whether you need to take on a product transformation is what problem does your product range solve for your customers? So in a world where we do have many, many, many competitors, you need to know how your unique range and offering, including price point, helps to solve your customers' problems. Ultimately, your customers are looking to buy the solution to their problem, not the product that you happen to be selling. However, hopefully, I should say hopefully as well, the product that you are selling does actually solve that customer's problem because then everyone is onto a winner. But to do this, you must, must understand the problem that your customers are trying to solve in the first place. Next up, menu item number seven, operating model. 
You must be intentional with how things happen. An operating model is a way to set up your business that repeatedly delivers the expected ways of working to give you the end result. An operating model is a structured way of running any part of your retail business. It's going to add processes, standards, priorities, and order to the complex ways of working. Plus, it's going to put in place the resources that allow that to be delivered in a consistent, repeatable, predictable way. So the first stage here is to define your operating model if you don't already have one. Or if you do, make sure that it is up to date. Because if you do not have one, or if it is not up to date, then you are going to get misunderstanding. You are going to get confusion and you are going to get assumptions being made across the workforce that lead to inconsistencies. So first up, make sure that you define your operating model. And secondly, make sure that it is doing what you want it to do. You have your purpose by this stage. Does your operating model support and deliver that purpose or not? And an increasingly important part of the operating model is around stock flow and logistics. With the ongoing rise of online shopping and the ever-increasing expectation of consumers, it's essential to have a very clear understanding of how your stock is flowing through your business. Understand your supply chain. End-to-end is often used as a buzzword, but in my experience, it's never end-to-end. It's sort of more like sort of a little bit of the end and a little bit of the end within the realms of the business. But actually, you must expand that. You must look outside of the business to really look upstream and downstream of the supply chain. Because by working with your suppliers, by working with your partners, you're going to find opportunities for better collaboration, faster speeds, or even reduced operating costs. And also on that same supply chain theme, forecasts really help to grease the wheels. You know, if you can clearly forecast your stock movement and your sales, then you're going to be able to ensure that there's maximum availability and minimize product waste and reduce the amount of working capital that's tied up in product sitting unwanted on a shelf or in a warehouse or in a stockroom. Plus, it's going to help with your workforce scheduling to make sure that you have the right size and the right number of store personnel, store colleagues, matched with the demand for stock replenishment, matched with the demand for customer service. And whilst predicting the future is tough in a volatile environment, doing something is absolutely better than doing nothing. So if you're not doing forecasting in a detailed way, then investigate how you could do this. And soon you could really make a transformation on how your stock and resource is being used effectively to serve your customers. So the big question here is what are the critical elements of your operating model that actually are adding value? Because if you do not have a lean operating model, then you will have excessive costs and you do actually risk them spiraling out of control without really understanding why or how. But instead, if you do understand which parts of your operation really do add value, particularly for your customers, then you are well on the way to developing that lean operating model that's going to help your business run like clockwork. Next up, number eight, is all about people. Transforming your people, the company's most important asset, right? Certainly in retail, it's going to be one of the most costly items in the P&L. But are you really looking after your people like they were your most important asset? This boils down to transformation in a few separate ways. First up, leadership and culture. I mean, wow, boom. 
these are big topics at the best of time. So I'm not even going to begin to try and really dive into this in a deep way in just a few minutes, okay? But they absolutely can be the brakes or the jet fuel for your transformation. Having a true willingness to change led from the top can, of course, mean the difference between success and failure. You should be looking to learn from other leaders and other company cultures to work out how that could fit in your business. Leadership, of course, should be driven by your purpose and actually the culture is going to be driven by your values. So if you do have that misalignment, if you are not making your purpose or your values come to life, then it's going to result in a mismatch and negativity is going to seep into that leadership and seep into that culture, which will disrupt the future. Not in a good way, by the way. And of course, your culture is going to be enabled and supported by supporting your people with training, with the right skills, with the right tools to do their job. It's going to result in a happier workforce that feel confident, that feel ready. But without that same training, it's a risk that people feel overwhelmed, that they feel stressed out, that they feel worried about making mistakes. And that will make the culture suffer. So it absolutely is important to think about how you can leverage leadership and culture as part of your people transformation. However, these elements are not quick to fix, right? They do take years of steady, consistent alterations and change management to be able to slowly adjust things. But if you don't start now, you ain't ever going to finish. Structure and organization is another big people transformation opportunity for you. If you're researching and reading about structures more, then you'll probably discover that some modern tech firms, your Googles, your Facebooks, etc., are finding success with a flatter structure and fewer management layers. Whilst this is a key trend, I personally believe that the nature of retail with a large workforce spread out across a number of distributed elements and, you know, a number of different stores, a number of different warehouses, doesn't really make that totally flat structure achievable. But you can still take the lessons. However, you must have a structure in place that does allow each team member to have a relationship with their boss, with their manager, their leader. And that relationship can and should be used for coaching, for feedback, for support, for doing the job better, and ultimately for serving the purpose of the business. So if you were to take the lesson from that modern flat structure of the sort of the modern tech company, then take the concept of having sufficient team sizes at each level. Do not end up in a place where you've got one person reporting to one person reporting to one person. That's not going to be efficient. It's not going to be cost effective. And then you're going to end up with lots of extra bureaucracy and admin workload, as well as communication breakdowns as the whole sort of Chinese whispers effect takes force. It's going to frustrate everyone in the end. So make sure team sizes are big, but not too big. And ultimately, every part of your organization, every team should still be continuing to drive towards your overall purpose, as I mentioned a second ago. And they should be responsible for making a key part of that purpose happen. So again, that overall purpose is kind of important, big warning sign here, right? If that is unclear, it's going to cause misalignment and that siloed behavior that we've all come to see in the retail marketplace and frankly, in every other industry as well. I mean, that siloed behavior does get seen by customers who find themselves coming up against barriers and obstacles as they just try to navigate their way through your own ecosystem. And of course, silos tend to result in sort of disruptive conversations internally, 
you know, it makes change more difficult, life is more stressful, and parts of the organization are trying to pull against each other, heading in opposite directions. That's not good. So use that purpose to help overcome the silos. And the third and final bit of that people transformation is to look at how you can use workforce management techniques to really optimize. You know, retail does have a big workforce. So you must make sure that you are using effective workforce management techniques. Put in place the right policies, the right procedures, the right tools to allow people to flexibly work, to allow the right schedule to be put in place to get that classic right people, right place, right time result. And of course, we've already discussed this. People are the most important asset, right? So shouldn't they be treated and used effectively as the most important asset? So the key question here for the eighth item on the menu is why should your teams serve your brand and your customers? Having a workforce without purpose is about just about paying people, frankly, to turn up and do their job. But give them a purpose and you allow them to turn into brand advocates that show an incredible amount of care towards your brand and ultimately to your customers. Now, the first part, obviously, is about defining that purpose. But from there, communicating that purpose and the overall intention to your teams will inspire them to strive to that same purpose. And in turn, it's going to give them not only a reason just to turn up to work, but the real opportunity to be part of something bigger, part of something more meaningful. So the next menu item, number nine this is, is all about system transformation, using technology to make things happen. Whilst I'm not advocating technology for technology's sake, we must recognize that technology does enable huge amount of progression to happen. It is, of course, another important element of making an operating model really work. Having the right systems in place is so critical. Now, older retailers, of course, have to deal with older legacy systems that are going to be deeply embedded into the culture and the ways of working. And they tend to be rather fragile too for today's heavy data demands. And there are many different systems, of course, that do sit behind a retail operation. There are systems that deal with people, you know, whether it's customer systems handling sensitive personal information or workforce and personnel systems, organizing HR and payroll and a whole lot more. There are systems to deal with stock ordering from suppliers, stock volumes, stock levels, and of course, customer orders. And of course, there are financial systems that result in taking money, paying money, and everything in between. And of course, there are many, many, many different working systems that allow each part of the organization to do their job, to do their part of the operating model. But with so many different systems, it's easy to feel that it might actually be easier just to avoid touching this altogether, which is true. It is easier to avoid touching it altogether, but that does not make it right, right? <laughs> that is not going to set you up for that future success that you crave. So the first step is to look at which elements are business critical and which are creaking. If they've got, let's say, excessive heritage and they're business critical and they could fall over at any moment, it really is time to focus on how to preserve that business viability on an ongoing basis. Do not let the overall business fall over. So the second item I'd like you to think about as you're considering a system transformation is, are you a tech company or are you just a retailer? It's okay either way. 
you know, when it comes to developing and installing and creating new systems, you could take one of three broad options. Number one, you could develop your own systems from scratch with your own IT teams. Number two, you could customize an existing system by working with a supplier's team. Or number three, you could just use a system straight out of the box. So to help you decide which is the best strategy, consider, like I say, if you are a tech company or if you are a retail company, and there's no shame in either, right? If you're using out-of-the-box systems, number three, you can just make changes much, much faster. But you must also have to change your business to fit in with how the system works rather than the other way around. So if your business is flexible and adaptable to changing processes, then this could be a good option for you. But if you're not flexible, if you can't make that change stick, what's going to happen is you're going to end up with an unused system and lots of non-value-add activity that's going to all be focused on circumventing working with the system which is there to help. Not very pretty, I'm sure you can understand. Equally, at the other end of the spectrum, if you're maybe a very large company, then you probably have IT capability. And you also probably have to look after many, many complex integrations, at which point it may make sense to sort things out yourself, have your own IT team. But it is going to be slower to build something, but it is going to be perfectly tailored to your business and your ideal operating model. And of course, you will be able to continue to add functionality in the future as you see fit. Alternatively, you could do something in the middle that sort of buys you the best of both worlds. It needs a good partnership to ensure that requirements are being clearly understood. You just need to watch out that you don't make too many customizations to end up costing you more than it would have cost to create something brand new off, the, off, off your own back. And that is a particular point if you are looking to continually innovate and bring in new propositions to the market on a regular occurrence. So which direction is best for you does ultimately depend on your existing IT capability and whether you are that tech company that does retail or not. So make sure you decide. So the key question here, talking about system transformation, is what is holding you back from your ideal system setup? So first up, what would your ideal system setup be? How would you want things to work? And how would you want things to integrate? From there, consider what's getting in the way from doing this. List out the key barriers that you will face. And then you can consider how you can overcome each of these. So the final, final element here. Menu item number 10. I did say it was going to be a bit of a long one, didn't I? This is all about success. You know, what does winning look like for you? What does success look like for you? Now, traditionally, you know, as we mentioned long, long, long time ago at the beginning of the episode, this has traditionally been measured from a shareholder's perspective, you know, profit, dividends, growth. But as the retail market does continue to come under strain, it may be important to look at metrics and analytics to optimize your business and maximize performance. As I said, I still think financials are going to be a key part of it. Don't think you can throw away your profit and loss to the wind and never worry about reporting again. But there is going to be an increased focus on a wider variety of KPIs. Now, we know KPIs drive behavior. I'm sure you're familiar with that concept. Ultimately, we as humans strive to succeed. We strive to please. But we also do have this quite incredible ability to simplify things and take a shortcut. So when we do put a KPI in place, then we want to make sure that we are improving that KPI, that we are hitting the target. 
But at the same time, we do want to find the easiest possible way of doing that. So if you have KPIs that are not properly understood, then they could be gamed and they could drive bad behavior, all in an attempt to get a slightly better score on that important metric. Those bad behaviors could involve cheating, they could involve lying, maybe about reprioritizing things that are better for the sake of the metric, but worse for the state of the business. Another example could be about playing scheming tactics over a longer period of time to show improvements. You know, I know I've come across examples of all of the above in my experience, and I'm sure you can think of some examples too, right? So when you're thinking about transformation, you should look at how you can minimize the likelihood of gaming the system, how you can use your KPIs set up in the right way to really understand what's going on rather than this sort of false picture. Consider how you would cheat the current system to maximize your success rate and then Look at the metric or the process and how could that be altered or automated even to minimize the chance of that happening. Another offshoot of KPIs is reporting. It's about presenting the performance to the business. And the aim of that helicopter view is to give managers and leaders throughout the organization the visibility to help make better decisions. In fact, the outcome from reporting should be a better future in my opinion. It should be about coaching people. It should be about taking preventative action in the future. What has happened already has come and gone. That is history. That cannot be changed. But we must look to the future. So consider if your reporting is actually having an effect on changing the future or if it's just an activity to create this sort of this story, this illustration, this reason as to why the results are the way they are. You know, a simple way to get this going is to look at trends and forecasts. And I'd recommend you do that as soon as possible. It's pretty easy to put together. And with increasingly powerful tools like Tableau, like Power BI, we now have access to some really fantastic real-time analytics. Just be careful of getting that classic case of paralysis by analysis. Don't get too absorbed by the numbers that you forget to actually take action and change the future, right? So data and analytics can absolutely help define how you are doing, how the business is doing, and help you define the action that you need to take to improve the future performance. So the key question that you must consider when thinking about this success transformation is what does success look like for your business? And how would you know if you've actually achieved that? You know, with the evolving retail market, you must make sure you continually consider what success looks like. You know, the classic example of not understanding this is when a physical store does not get attributed to online sales. You know, that does not encourage store teams to recommend customers to the online channels because they're obsessed with taking the sale themselves. So consider how you would know if and when you achieve that success too. Having the right metrics and the right reports in place will allow you to monitor and track how you are doing. So there we go. Those are the 10 items of my retail transformation menu. And I'd love to know what you make of it all. I'm going to run through the 10 items just very quickly because I appreciate this has been a rather long episode. Number one was about business model transformation. How does the business actually generate money, generate revenue? Number two was looking at transforming your strategy how you sell, where you sell, and how people buy. 
Number three was taking a look at a brand transformation. Who is your company and what does it stand for? With that very important point about purpose that we seem to come back to again and again. Number four was looking at a customer transformation. Looking at who you are meant to serve. Number five was all about the shopping trip and the experience of actually shopping with you. Number six was about product. What you sell is not what your customers buy. Number seven was looking at operating model transformation and being intentional with how things happen. Number eight was all looking at people, the company's most important asset, right? Number nine was looking at transforming your systems and using technology to make things happen. And finally, number 10 was all about success. And what does winning really look like for you? So those are the 10 items of my transformation menu. Think about which items need to sit into your wish list if you need to kick start a transformation. You can get a rundown and some really detailed show notes over at obandco.uk slash 53 for this one. And I do recommend you want to go and check that out if your sort of brain is whizzing and whirling and trying to work out which elements need to sit on your wish list. So do head over there, obandco.uk slash 53. And of course, if you've got any questions, if you need any help, then do reach out. You can contact me by email oliver.banks at obandco.uk. You know, it would be great to hear from you. And of course, I'm always on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. LinkedIn, Oliver Banks. And if we're not connected, then we should be. And Twitter, you can follow me over at Ollie underscore Banks. And it would be great to hear what you thought of this episode over there. So let's wrap this one up. Make sure you subscribe if you've not already done so. The next episode is going to be a bit of a special episode. It's going to be celebrating the first birthday of the Retail Transformation Show. So do make sure you come back and join me next time for episode 54 of the Retail Transformation Show. Catch up then.